Hello and welcome back to Unlocking Markets, our RBC Blue Bay podcast series. This is where we bring you our experts from across the firm who provide their opinions on the macro environment and discuss how top-down themes help influence the way they invest. I'm Mike Reed, Head of Global Financial Institutions. Today, I'm going to be talking to Lawrence Binsefi, who is both a Portfolio Manager and Deputy Head of Emerging Market Equities. Today, we'll be covering a range of topics that we believe all investors involved in EM equities should be thinking about. The recent G20 meeting was hosted in India by Prime Minister Modi, and there was much talk about the rise of the global south, which is dominated by emerging market countries. This can be seen by their increasing share of global GDP. Today, we'll be considering their big picture themes and also discuss how the latest developments in artificial intelligence and ESG integration are impacting EM portfolios. So welcome, Laurence. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on this podcast. So, Laurence, despite emerging markets' growing share of global GDP, for several years now, EM equity markets have significantly underperformed their developed market peers. What do you think have been the reasons for this and why is this time different? Yes, indeed, Mike, EM uh, equities have really underperformed. To be fair, EM equities were flat during the period, but it's really developed equities and in particular US equity that have been really strong. And the main reason really is that in the end, we never really recovered from the global financial crisis for 10 plus years. We didn't have a recession, but it felt like a really difficult environment, a risk-off environment. And in that environment, we had uh, low inflation, low interest rate, uh, low um, commodity prices and a very strong dollar. So that really helped uh, develop market. Um, what we think is different now is that we are entering a new regime, a new environment where all those factors reversed. So we are probably in a higher inflation, a higher interest rate environment for longer, higher commodity prices, and at some point, a weaker dollar. All that is going to be much more positive for emerging market equities, and we expect an outperformance in the years to come. Well, that sounds like good news. Now, let's talk more specifically about China. Chinese equities dominate EM indices and have been a drag on overall performance. But going forward, what are some of the major themes you believe will be driving both the Chinese economy and its stock market? So you're right. I mean, recently, China has been a drag, but for quite a long time, China has been doing actually quite quite well. Uh, obviously, superior economic growth. He had quite a diversified economy. We had a, like a strong technology sector with e-commerce companies that did really well. But you're right, over the past two, three years, it's been more difficult for the, for the China uh, equity market. Going forward, we still think that there's a lot of potential for this economy, but it all comes down to the ability of the government to rebalance uh, from a kind of investment, real estate, capex-driven economy to consumption economy. So um, the consumption level in China is much uh, lower than in pretty much every other country. People save a lot of money because they don't feel they can spend as much because the safety nets are not really there in the country. So there's a huge potential for China to create this huge uh, consumption economy that we could drive economic growth for years to come. Um, we don't know yet if this is going to happen. It's a big challenge for the government, but the potential is there for sure. And that should really help uh, the equity market when that happens. Okay, good to hear again. But let's switch gear a little bit here. Um, the Indian population is now estimated to have exceeded that of China, becoming the most populous country in the world. 
we've also witnessed similar relative performances of their stock markets. From your perspective, though, is India still a market rich in investment opportunities? Yeah, you're right. I mean, India has done quite well the past few years um, for the stock market. It's actually the most expensive country in emerging markets. So you may think, yeah, maybe it's a bit too late. Having said that, we still think there's a lot of opportunities in the country. Uh, the country uh, just had eight years of a huge amount of reform, economic reform. So Prime Minister Modi has really transformed the country. And, and you're right, when you introduced at the beginning, for the first time, India hosted the G20. And I think it was a big show of the strength and the potential growth for the country. Every other country is wanted and are working very hard to sign trade agreements with India because India is now in a position where they're going to increase massively their spending and you know buying planes and trains from there. So everyone wants to be involved. Um, so we are very positive. The transition, those eight years of reforms, was actually not an easy period because when you when when you have a lot of changes in the country, it kind of impacts economic growth. So actually, the economic growth over the past few years have been below par. But we feel like India is just at this period of time where now it's ready for multi-years, maybe even multi-decade uh, economic growth. India is basically where China was about 15 years ago in terms of GDP. And as you mentioned, with a population that is now bigger, much younger, there's a lot of potential for the country. So India remains really one of our favorite countries to invest in. Okay. Wow. lot to digest there. Um, so moving on from the big picture to something a little more granular, what themes within EM are you and your team most excited about today and how are you positioning your portfolios? I would say, I mean, there are several themes because we have this thematic approach. So we have identified area of long-term kind of secular growth, but to highlight a couple at the moment and just on what I was mentioning before, I think domestic consumption has always been a big theme in emerging market, but I think over the next few years, especially what I, what I said about China and what we see in India, where you've got this massive middle class uh, growing very fast, we, we still think that domestic consumption is going to be a major driver uh, of growth for the coming years, and we want to be exposed to that. So there's many different angles, but there's the emergence of local brands, for instance, which are really interesting. Um, you know, the, when a country is quite poor and starts to develop, usually foreign brands or multinationals they tend to be in the country and are quite successful. They're an aspiration for local population. But as the country matures, you see the emergence of local brand. They can cater better to the local taste. And we see that at the moment in those countries. So we, we want to have exposure to those kind of, of, of themes. Um, in China, we want to have people really are very willing to spend also. As I said, they, send, they, they save a lot at the moment, but they still want to spend on going out, eating out, traveling, etc. And we've got exposure as well. Another theme which is really interesting in emerging market is what we call financialization. Uh, and it's just, just to say that in emerging market in many countries, uh, the banking penetration is very low. And right now, with interest rate being higher, a lot of the banks in emerging market are 
doing you know they they're doing really well in terms of returns but it's also there's also quite a lot of growth so we see again with this increase of the middle class uh, really a, a big growth in banking penetration so there are a few countries where we see a lot of potential uh, for instance mexico which is really one of the most unbanked country in the world where um, really more than half of the population doesn't even have a bank account. So you can imagine the potential in this kind of, of, of country. Um, so I would say that those are two of the themes we really like. If I can mention a third one uh, is digitalization, which also in emerging market is going really, really fast. Um, India, one of the reasons for the success in India is that they completely digitalized the economy. Uh, at a fast uh, speed, and that's really paying off now. Some really interesting themes there. Um, so for moving on to the actual investors themselves now, I mean, for several years, we've seen institutional investors increase their exposure to EM equities, whereas retail investors have been reducing theirs. Given you manage money on behalf of both types of investor, can you share any insights into how different clients are thinking about their EM allocations? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think speaking to, to the two types of clients, we have a very different conversation with those clients. Um, institutional investors tend to have a, a longer term horizon um, that rarely look very short term. They tend to have an allocation that they follow for, for the next five, 10 years. And those ones are increasing their allocation to emerging markets. So we've seen some interest uh, that they tend to look at really the long-term trends, such as the one I mentioned, and maybe ignore a little bit more uh, the very short-term uh, kind of volatility when obviously retail investors is the other way around. So they're very worried about the, the short-term movements. Uh, they don't like the underperformance. And what we've seen, we've seen indeed a lot of retail investors reducing or even completely uh, removing any allocation to emerging market. What is interesting right now is that we feel like after several years of seeing this trend, we feel like we're quite close to a capitulation level, which is really important. So emerging market trade really at the lowest valuation compared to developed market that we've ever seen at the time where we feel fundamentals are really improving. As I mentioned at the very beginning, we're in a period where we have higher interest rates, um, higher inflation. This is uh, an environment that emerging market can face uh, in a better way because it's a normal environment for them. So the, the debt level is much lower um, and uh, they've seen that many times before. And that's why they also cut interest rate, increase interest rates so early on in this cycle of inflation. So despite having stronger fundamental on EM, we've seen the worst valuation. So this disconnect cannot last for too long. And once indeed we've seen this capitulation happening, which feels like that, especially during the summer where we had massive outflows of the asset class from retail investors, I think we'll be ready for a rebound at some point. Great. Let's move on to something that's really in focus, particularly in Europe, ESG. And it's become a major focus over here now. Emerging markets would on first sight appear to offer considerable challenges in this area. Your fund is well known for the way you integrate ESG into its investment process. Could you shed some light on the main challenges you experience and, and how you navigate them as an investor? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a huge focus as well on the emerging market. And as you mentioned for us, we always integrated it in our process simply because 
it's emerging markets. So in emerging markets, I guess it was more on the G of ESG for a very long time, but the G, the corporate governance, which is so important, is very, there's a huge range of quality of corporate governance in emerging markets. So for us, we always included it because obviously we want to avoid the companies with a poor corporate governance and in, in, instead being position of companies with the best corporate governance. Uh, otherwise you're exposed to company that we feel um, are poor quality for us. It's, it's a way of judging the quality of the company. Now, because we've done it for so long, we have our own process. We completely integrate it through uh, our team. The challenge for emerging market investors is that, you know, the databases, the information that is available is not great for emerging markets um, for all sorts of reasons. It's a very deep market, lots of different countries, a lot of smaller companies, etc. So anyway, you have to do the work uh, on your own. And we have years of experience of engaging with uh, management. Um, we, we, we have lots of tools uh, to do that. We have a checklist when we include all those ESG elements. And I would say that really paid off. Um, but again, what I want to stress in emerging market, you have to do really the work yourself, engaging, getting to know really well the management, be able to ask all those questions because you won't find the information anywhere else, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And it's really interesting to learn how you as investors actually take on that challenge. Well, talking about challenges, um, I guess one of the biggest ones out there, and we're always asked to look forward as investors, is uh, how are you dealing with the latest emerging market, uh, emerging technology, artificial intelligence? Which countries and industries are likely to be the winners and the losers? And, and at the end of the day, will it upend their export-led growth model? So AI is interesting because I think a lot of investors are focused um, and understandably to NVIDIA, for instance, or the companies in the US. But EM and especially Korea and Taiwan are actually very much involved into the AI kind of trend or revolution, as you can call it. Um, a lot of suppliers to, um, to the Americans player on that field are actually in Korea and Taiwan. So, and they tend to be really high quality company that have invested a lot in R&D over the past few years, which means they've got high barriers to entry. They are usually one or two or three player maximum that can supply to the American companies. So that makes them quite a interesting investment, quite profitable, high growth. And what is more important as well is that you buy them at a valuation, which is a fraction of the American players. Um, so we think Korea, Taiwan are, are really two um, great ways of playing the AI revolution. And actually, when people think about emerging market, and I mentioned at the beginning, I mean, yeah, they think about domestic consumption, they think about commodities, but there's a lot more. I mean, the, the, the composition of the companies in emerging market have evolved a lot over the past few years. So you actually have a good chunk of the benchmark and the portfolios that are exposed to more for digitalization that I mentioned, including AI. I think that's interesting to remind people that Korea and Taiwan are parts of the emerging market indices. I think a lot of people forget that. Uh, anyway, it's 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 clear that the ever-evolving political, social and economic landscape makes this a hugely compelling and an interesting asset class. I'm sure that 2024 will continue to bring a wealth of discussion points. So thank you, Laurence. I hope you can come back on the show next year. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Please like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. We will be back next month where we'll be moving to the other end of the investment universe as we'll be joined by Casper Hentz from our investment grade team. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.
This podcast is issued by RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire RBC Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.rbcbluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and it is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. RBC Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy or completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. RBC Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast or to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but RBC Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined in the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities.